Amen. Well, I am excited um, to be with you and to share with you all this morning. I've been looking forward um, to getting to share with you guys since I started back in August. It's hard to believe um, that it's already almost the new year and those four months have flown by um, so fast, but I am excited um, to share with you this morning. If you do not know me, my name is Neil Ferris. I am the student minister um, here at Taylorville Christian Church, um, and I have a picture of my wonderful family up there. So uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Mary, and we've been married for um, five years. It'll be six this coming April, and that is our beautiful, um, she's now 19-month-old daughter, Anastasia. And then we are excited to announce I have another picture. Um, we are going to be growing to a family of four um, in June of 2024. So um, we are very, yes, thank you. So we're very excited to be welcoming a new little one, and Anastasia so far is excited. Um, that may change come June, but um, one of the new words in her, voc her vocabulary is baby. She's very excited about the baby. Um, we do have some concerns because she doesn't set her baby doll down very softly right now, so, um, but she's very excited, and we are too, and so um, we are just very excited to welcome a new little one. I have the honor and privilege to work with our 6th through 12th grade students here um, and I just want to let you guys know God is moving in our youth. Um, he really is. He's moving here. He's moving nationwide in our youth. And I, they just bring me such joy to watch them um, as I get to share with them and to see them be open to the message. Um, and God is doing awesome things in our student ministry and in our community. And I can't wait to see what he does in the now and the future um, with our kids. And so I am just very excited um, for what God is doing. Um, but I absolutely love working here. Um, I have loved my four months here. I love working with James. He's kind of taken me under his wing, and we read books together, and I love that. That was something that I was hoping for um, when I took this job. And on top of that, I also have the honor of being the boys' varsity basketball coach at Lutheran High School in Springfield, Illinois. And I also get to work with youth in just a little different way, but I also get to share the message of Jesus with them um, on a daily basis. And so I'm pretty busy during the week from, from going here to coaching, but I have a really hard time, and some of you may have this problem as well, saying no. Um, I like to say yes to things. Yes, 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 yes. And it doesn't take very long before I'm pretty tired and worn out and just weary. My wife has been such a blessing because since we've been married, she's been like, honey, you can't say yes to everything. And so, um, but I just have this, this fear um, that if I don't say yes, I'm letting people down. That if I don't say yes and I say no, that I'm letting somebody else down. And sometimes Mary's like, honey, that situation doesn't even really let anybody down. But that's just the feeling I have. And so I just have this, this, this time, this problem with saying no. And I always kind of chuckle when people say they had a relaxing holiday. Because I don't know about you guys, the holidays, in a good way, aren't always necessarily the most relaxing time. And so I would love to see what their holiday is like if they say it's relaxing. And, but I, I kind of thought about this, that this idea of this, these times, we just get tired and weary in the holiday season. And then after Christmas, we launch right into New Year's, and everybody's asking, well, what's your New Year's resolution? What's your resolution for this upcoming year? And it's always kind of this big deal, I felt like. You know, our coworkers, our friends, well, what, what's, your, what's your New Year's resolution? If I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like New Year's resolutions. And I think part of it is because I'm just really bad at keeping a New Year's resolution. For the last four or five years, I've said I'm going to cut soda and I'm going to start dieting. I love soda. For those of you that are like health nuts, you're probably really rolling your eyes at me, but I absolutely love soda. And every year I'll say this, by the end of January, I am on a new diet and it's called the seafood diet. And what that means is I see food and then I eat it. And so that is the new diet um, that I end up being on every January. 
And so it just kind of got me thinking what the definition of a, of a New Year's resolution was. Because I'm not good at keeping it. So the, the definition of a New Year's resolution is a promise to do something differently in the new year. And I just think for me personally, I just don't have the patience or the discipline necessarily to change my life overnight, right? You know, I, eating the same way on, on December 31st doesn't make it any easier on January 1st. And then, you know, there's already soda in the fridge that needs to be drank, right? I can't throw that out. That's a waste, right? And, well, this food needs to be eaten, and we already bought this food, and then before too long, I'm right back to where I started. But when James asked me to preach um, this morning, something that stood out to me was this year started on a Sunday on January 1st and ends on a Sunday on December 31st. And we get you the unique opportunity to do that about every five to six years. The last time we were able to do that was um, 2017. And so I just think it's this unique opportunity where we got to start the year and kick the year off worshiping together in this place. And then we also get to end it and kind of review, but also look forward to the future together as a church family. And so I start asking myself, what should we be focusing on this new year? With all these ideas of starting new and fresh and starting over, what should we be thinking. And I think all of us would agree, like I said, that while we enjoy the holidays, I love Christmas. Christmas is my favorite time of year. I love New Year's. I love, I don't love New Year's resolutions, but I like the idea of starting new and starting fresh. Just the, the holidays are not this relaxing time, right? We're going from house to house, family to family, places to go, people to see. And I think we were all truly honest with ourselves. We are all tired and weary. And some of us may be tired and weary from telling people that we're not tired and weary, right? And maybe for some of us, there's some things happening in our personal lives, not just with the holidays, but things going on that are, that are making us feel weary. Maybe you've, you've experienced loss this year. Maybe your financial situation isn't the greatest right now, or it's just a tough time. Maybe things at work aren't going the way you thought they would. It's a tough time at work. Maybe you're having problems with one of your kids, a parent, sibling, coworker, friends or family. And we have all those things going on, and then we turn on the news and it just seems like there's negative after negative after negative, and before too long, we're just, we're tired of being tired. And we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? And maybe you have questions for God as we go into this next year. Maybe your question is, why me? Why are these things happening? Why, why is my financial situation the way it is? And maybe some of you are asking, God, where are you as we go into this new year? God, where are you at in the midst of all these things and maybe you're losing your hope and that weariness is starting to overtake you and you're just starting to feel overwhelmed. And so I started to ask myself, what do we need to do this year to change that mindset? So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would love for you to join me and open to Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3 and we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21. And so Acts is the first book after the gospel. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we've got Acts sitting there. And so Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel that bears his name. Um, and Luke was a physician. We know that Luke was a doctor. Um, we also know he was a very good friend of Paul. Paul calls him the beloved physician. So Luke and Paul are these really good friends. They get along really well. Um, Luke wrote these. I'm really bad with names, but I'm going to try to pronounce this right. I studied it really hard, and I'm still going to get it wrong. Um, but he wrote Acts and Luke are entitled to Theophilus. Okay? But we also know that he wrote it with the mission, hoping that young believers would read it and be encouraged. Luke wanted to make sure that there's this accurate um, compilation and account of, of Jesus' ministry in the early church. Knowing that people would read this years after and they would be encouraged. And also for the young believers to know that the things they were hearing by word of mouth, these things are true. 
And so Luke is writing this, and one of the things I want to point out is, is he's known for his writing. He's a really smart guy, it sounds like. He's, the, the, the scholars, that I was, as I was studying, brought up that he was very good with Greek. He was very good with the Greek language um, and was very good with how he used that language to convey his message. And so um, Luke is writing this to the, to the, the young believers so they know about um, the beginning of the church. And I want to catch us up here on what has kind of happened here at the beginning of Acts because I think it's really important to note that Acts picks up right where Luke left off. Okay, so we read at the end of Luke about Jesus' ascension into heaven, and in fact, there's some overlap because Luke talks about it again in Acts. He almost kind of goes backwards a few steps to catch us up. And so the events of Acts have happened right after Luke. This is right after Jesus' ascension, and we're actually going to read real quick from Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to read it for us real quick this morning. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So after his ascension, Jesus has been talking to the disciples. He's been on the earth for 40 days. He appears. And that's going to be really important here in a second. But he also tells them that he's there to go to Jerusalem, that something's going to happen in Jerusalem. They're supposed to go to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them. They're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, whether the disciples understood what this meant, Acts chapter 2 is one of my favorite stories. They, they get to figure that out here in a second. But they know they're supposed to go to Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem. We also read here in these kind of chapters, they choose Matthias to replace Judas. So they're back to 12 disciples. And so that happens. And then we get to see one of the coolest um, stories of the Bible. And that's in chapter 2, talks about Pentecost. Now here's where the 40 days is very important. So we know that all the events of Jesus' death, resurrection, his trial, um, happened during Passover. And so there are seven weeks from Passover to Pentecost. So 49 days, and so we know that Jesus walked the earth for 40 days. So they had been waiting in Jerusalem for about nine days. And that's just how fresh all of this was. This is, this is not like a bunch of time has passed. Jesus has just died, just gone to heaven. He's been raised, he's gone to heaven, and now they're sitting here waiting. And then in chapter 2, we get to read about these tongues of fire. I just, that story, just, I love that story. And these, this rushing wind comes in, and these tongues of fire come right, and all of a sudden they realize everybody can understand us. It doesn't matter what language they're speaking or I think I'm speaking. I would love to know what that's like to talk and just everybody understand, right? And we read about this powerful sermon he preaches and 3,000 people are added to their number that day. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, we see that there was a lame beggar healed. And then that brings us to the section we're going to be at here in these verses 19 through 21. And so let's read those together. Starting at verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come Come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And so this section kicks off at verse 11, is where this section in, in our Bible, how we've got it divided, starts. And Peter is preaching his second sermon here in the beginning of Acts. And so his first sermon was the one we just talked about, the sermon at Pentecost. And, and the message of his first sermon was about Jesus' messianic status. And Peter is just focusing on that Jesus was the Messiah. That was his first sermon. That was the whole point. Jesus was who he says he was. He is the Messiah. And that was his message. And then the second sermon is focused on the repentance of Jews. He's asking the Jews to repent for rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. So these two are kind of related. First sermon, hey, Jesus was who he says he was. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But then the second sermon shifts to, you know, we've rejected him and we need to accept him as that Messiah. In student ministry, we just got done talking about hope through a series called Christmas at the Movies. And it was one of my favorite, one, probably I just really enjoyed the study I got to do with this 
series. And as we were talking about this hope, we focused on three things. And we focused on the fact that hope was coming, that hope was for everybody, and that that hope is here. That the hope is here, the hope of the world is here today. And as we explored this concept, something that kind of struck me this week, and James and I have got, I think sometimes I, I don't know how James handles it, but I love to go knock on his door and we just, I just talk about the things that I read and I get excited about. And I started talking about this idea that something that stood out to me was Jesus didn't meet the expectations of the day. And what I mean by that was, and, and the illustration I used is, you know, I create, you know, you create a Christmas list every Christmas, right? And then you give it to your parents and then you start to make expectations and get excited based on a list you gave, right? And your Christmas can be ruined or made based on what gifts are given from that list. And what I mean by that Jesus didn't meet the expectations of the day and what kind of Peter was talking about in his first sermon was they were waiting for Jesus to come in and destroy Rome. They were waiting for this earthly king that was going to come in, he was going to go to Rome, he was going to tear the gates down, and he was going to create this kingdom, and Israel was going to be the strongest nation in the world. That's what they were waiting for. That was their expectation. The religious rulers of the day had expectations, and they got frustrated because Jesus never met those expectations, because he never spent any time with them, right? He spent time with all the, the tax collectors and the sinners. And so all these expectations people had for who the Messiah was supposed to be in their mind he didn't meet any of those. But in reality, what we discovered was Jesus didn't meet their expectations or sometimes our expectations because he did something that we could never even imagine. If we wrote the story, it probably would never have looked like anything that God had planned out because it's something that our minds can't even wrap. Their we can't even wrap our mind, our head around what Jesus did. And so that is what Peter's trying to help the people understand. In Luke 24, verses 45 to 47, we read this. This is Jesus then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then Jesus says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so now the disciples now get this, this knowledge. You know, I, I, would, I would love to have been with Jesus in, in those last days as he starts talking about how he's going to die and all these things. And these expectations they would have had. That he was supposed to go to Rome, right? And well, now you're going to die? And just, the, just them trying to figure out what he meant. And I love the scripture here because it, um, it says that he, they opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So Jesus has kind of let them unlock the key, right? And now they get it. This is greater than anything. And he did create a kingdom, right? He created a kingdom, but it's not a kingdom that they could see right then and there. And this kingdom isn't just for me. This kingdom isn't just for the Jews. This kingdom is for everybody. And Jesus came and flipped the whole world upside down. And so let's go back to Peter's words here in Acts at verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. You know, I don't know about you, but in this time of life that we're all in right now, that, that term, um, times of refreshing, just makes me go, <sighs> Right? There's a lot of things. I've got a toddler. My life is crazy, right? She runs us ragged all around the house. And I also think that I'm encouraged about this idea of refreshing because the Bible says that life is going to be hard. We read in James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. John 16, says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. 
And what is evident from these verses, it's not an if trials come right, it's a when. Whenever you face trials, when you face be tribulation, be patient in tribulation. All these things and just the, thing, the, the, the day-to-day grind of life just leave us tired. But there's something that stood out to me as we talk about this idea of being refreshed and starting new, that we can have refreshing and all Peter says we have to do is then repent therefore and turn back. And I love this verse in the language of this because you know, it doesn't say we have to turn back and take a 10 mile hike to go find God. It doesn't say we have to turn back and go climb this, this giant mountain or climb out of a valley. You know, it doesn't say turn back and look on the horizon. All it says is to repent and to turn back. You know, one of my favorite poems is the poem of um, the man walking on the beach with the Lord. And some of you may have heard this before. It's, it's pretty popular. Um, but there's this man, and he's walking on the beach with the Lord, and they're leaving footprints in the sand. And as they're walking, these scenes of, it, of this man's life are flashing in the sky. And they get to the end of his life, and the man turns around, and he starts to notice that there's times on this walk where there's only one set of footprints. And the man starts to realize that those, those footprints go down to one set when his life was the hardest, when he would go through trials, or he'd go through his hardest times. And this really started to bug the man. And so he asks the Lord, he goes, Lord, why in my, in my biggest time of need did you leave me and forsake me? And then the Lord responds, child, it's not that I left you, but it's that in those times I carried you. And what I, want, what I realized this week, and what I want us all to realize, is if you are tired and weary today, Jesus is waiting for you to turn to him and let him carry you. He's waiting with arms open wide if you are tired and weary today, wanting to take the heavy burdens from you and wanting to let you give up control and let him carry you. He wants you to be refreshed. He's waiting for you to give him the situation that is wearing you down, and we can have rest in Jesus and a hope for a great future. And so what do we do with all this? What do we do with this promise of refreshing as we, as we go into the new year? You know, and, and I, I, I opened up talking about that I dislike New Year's resolutions for different reasons, and part of it's probably personal reasons, and I know New Year's resolutions are great for some people, but I read a stat as I was studying for this sermon, and I found it very interesting And the stat I read as I was preparing is that only 9% of Americans complete their New Year's resolutions. And the other interesting stat that I read was that only 43% 43 of them end their resolution by the end of January. And so something I want us to do this morning is, is we're talking about New Year's resolutions. I don't want us to resolve to do something. Right? I don't want us to resolve to go to church more. I don't want us to resolve to read our Bible more or pray more. And I think those are all great things. But something I'm starting to realize as I get older is I'm never going to be strong enough on my own to do those things. And while those things are good, we have to be able to turn, repent, and fall into the arms of Jesus and allow him to be our strength. And so I want to challenge us, all of us this year, as we get ready to go into this new year, as we start new and it's a great time of refreshing, just to fall into the arms of Jesus and give him everything and let him carry you. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the chance that, um, that we had to open your word. And Lord, I thank you for the chance we have to worship you. And Lord, I don't know the situations that are going on in people's lives this morning, but I know that you are with them, and that you are carrying them, and that you are holding them. And Lord, I ask that as we, 
as we sometimes as humans try to take charge and try to take things in our own hands, that we would just relax and we would just give you control because there is peace beyond all understanding when we give it all to you. Lord, I thank you for the time we've had to be together this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you don't know Jesus this morning, we would love for you to make, a, to make a decision to follow him. I'll be standing here in the front as we sing our hymn. If you'd like to accept Jesus, we'd ask you to come forward this morning.